Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode one of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast given a second chance to films that maybe don't deserve them. Or do they? Well, this is what we're here to find out. Indeed. I'm Mitch Bain. I am the founder of ShockStreetHorror.com. And I'm Andy Stewart. I'm a filmmaker and a journalist and a bunch of other rubbish in between. So here we are. We're finally doing this. Oh, how do you feel? I'm feeling good, yeah, man. Nervous butterflies? A little bit, yeah, but the good yeah. kind, the good yeah, kind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. How's your week been, man? It's been okay, thanks very yeah. much. Yep, yep, yeah. Started a started a new day job. I don't I don't want to talk about the day job. I don't want to talk about that at all much. Nah, fine. To be fine. quite honest, yeah. But uh, th- things are good. Um, pressing ahead with a new project mm-hmm. as well. So uh, yeah, uh, and yourself. I know. I'd just like to ask you. I know you're a you're a kind of avid cinema goer. Unlike myself, I kind of um, I kind of pop in whenever there's something that I can really be fucked going to see. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I know, I know that you, uh, you go to the cinema a lot. Have you seen anything this week that yeah. you would like to talk about just quickly? Um, Yeah, I have. Um, I haven't been going quite so much lately, but I've just in the last couple of weeks kind of got back into the habit right. and I've caught a couple of things. So um, first off, I did see uh, A Quiet Place. Okay. Thoughts? Uh, I thought it was great, yeah. Um, I would say that it didn't get under my skin in the same way as it has, as it seems to have with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But as an exercise in tension and things like that, and just kind of using a smart concept quite smartly, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's great. Quick question: How was your viewing experience of that? I've heard people uh, have some fucking nightmare experiences <laughs> at the cinema. Yeah, um, I think I came out pretty well from that. I would mm-hmm. say the, I saw it half four in the afternoon on a Friday, mm-hmm. and yeah, I would say the cinema was about maybe a half full, and yeah, half empty. Depending on your outlook, yeah, but um, no, everybody was pretty respectful and uh, silent when they needed to be silent. Everyone tried to mm-hmm. eat the popcorn at strategic intervals when things were slightly louder. But yeah, maybe uh, just a film where John Krasinski is almost constantly in medium profile, pleadingly shushing the camera, maybe has that effect on audiences, I don't know. But um, I love John Krasinski, I think he's great. He is great, and... Um, it's his third feature as a director as well. It's his, mm-hmm. I think it's his first attempt at horror, and it's um it's a really well put together film. It's a really smart concept. Yeah, I'd recommend it a lot actually. Um, mm-hmm. I also um caught Truth or Dare recently. Oh, the, Blumhouse. Is Blumhouse Truth is the latest. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that one uh, was a little bit less of an unqualified success. I would oh. say. I, I know that kind of generally it seems like the kind of critical attitude to this one has not been too hot. I would say I'm pro. I'm not as kind of vocal in my disdain for it as some people seem to be but i didn't particularly like it excellent um what i would say is um it works its way to an ending that i think is pretty smart i won't say i won't say a thing about it if you're unfamiliar with the idea of the film it's not spoilery at all to basically say that it is just a game of truth or dare with a twist that escalates in kind of increasingly grotesque ways it's also not a particular spoiler to say that there's a certain demonology element to it right and um it didn't really occur to me quite how much this has started to bother me as a trope, but around about the hour mark in films, 
You know when uh, I maybe will actually just preface preface this by saying that seeing as I'm talking about something in the third act, maybe slightly spoilery. If you haven't seen this yet, maybe skip ahead a minute or two. But um, yeah, you know when the kind of your main antagonist is some form of demon, right? Yeah, you know? and uh, you've been, they've been struggling away trying to basically piece together the kind of the mythology or the modus operandi of the demon, right? Uh, with very limited success. Almost without exception, within those kind of films, it seems like around about the hour mark, a character that is most often an ethnic minority character, most often a Hispanic character, is kind of emerges <laughs> from the background to cliff notes the demonology of it to set up the third act so they know what they have to do to defeat it or to try to defeat it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking Drag Me to Hell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah. yeah like, I guess the, the only other possible person that can give you that kind of information is a kind of tweed wearing academic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's really the only other. <laughs> That's really the only other person apart from some kind of mystical ethnic minority uh, that can uh, that's kind of qualified to dispense any information about battling demons. Yeah, like, this is like this is something that is I like to say I had not occurred. To, it's something that I've noticed before, but I wouldn't say that it's ever something that's annoyed me. Yeah. But when it got to this point in Truth or Dare, which, like I say, is a far from perfect film up to that point, but does have some fun with the conceit, conceit <clears> and yeah, it goes in some fairly interesting places. But when this happened, I, gen- I, I, I didn't groan out loud in the theatre, but I sighed. I rolled my eyes. Um, you have to be was, careful when you groan in the cinema that it's not misconstrued as an orgasm. Well, this is very true. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't want to put on this. don't want to get banned. <laughs> no, um, uh, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, I, mean, I feel like we've already stepped into dangerous, uh, potentially litigious territory here yeah, with that, with that well, P- Pee Wee Herman comment. It's true, which makes it okay to talk about yeah. not what he did. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, so, so yeah, you saw no. a quiet place. You give you you would rate you would rate a quiet place, but not so much truth or dare. Truth or dare? No, I genuinely had a. I cannot fucking believe that I'm watching this film again. Excellent. I have watched fuck all this week. Uh, all yeah, right. Yeah, I've got <laughs> nothing to report really in terms of you and uh, whatsoever. Right, fair days. Well, I mean, I suppose that, that I suppose that keeps this segment nice and brief. Yeah. <laughs> Housekeeping done. And on the subject of housekeeping, if you have listened to the prequel episode that we put out a little while ago, which if you haven't, I would maybe recommend going back and giving a wee second look to. Yeah, just if you're just a curiosity more than anything else, you can find it on Podbean. You can indeed, yeah. Um, Podbean. Podbean. Yeah. But yeah, no, uh, you can go there and uh, check that out because basically we said what we're here to do, but also we did have a draw to uh, democratically select who was going to be bringing the first film to the table for defending. And Andy, you came out on top in that one. We did, yep. A uh, couple of names in the tombola. My name came out of that, yep. And uh, it fell to me to bring this uh, wonderful film to, to you, Mitch. So, keep uh, For a first, uh, so, a first, uh, oh, first yeah. viewing for you as well, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, I'll explain a little bit more about my backstory with this one um, in a sec once you've told everybody which film it was that you chose. Well, I'm a massive slasher fan, so for me, I wanted to bring something to the table that was very much... It's a film that I feel is very much underappreciated in a, in a sub-genre where there are a lot of films which are pretty underappreciated, I think. Kind of within a, a, all of the big kind of franchises, there tends to be one film that's considered kind of the bastard child, the, the ugly child in the attic, if you like. <laughs> and for Halloween, that would be Halloween 3. Uh, for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that would be... Uh, is it... The next generation, new generation, yeah. The next next generation, Star Trek. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the one with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, another one you mean. Uh, Texas four. Yeah, yes, yes, correct. Yeah, I guess you could probably include Wes Craven's New Nightmare in that as well. Okay, yeah, that's fair. So with that in mind, uh, the film that I've chosen to bring to the table is Friday the Thirteenth Part Five: A New Beginning. 
It was indeed an interesting choice. That's <laughs> um, fucking amazing. <laughs> and um, yeah, I want to preface this by saying that um, I do not particularly. Like, I am also a slasher fan. Well, you're clearly not then. But well, I was going to say, well, I'm not as based big a slasher on what you're about. But it seems to me you're about to say you're clearly not. I do not care for the Friday the Thirteenth franchise oh, in general. In general, which means that I've so I've I've seen the original. Obviously, I have seen a handful of the sequels. I've not seen this one. Bet you've seen the remake. Or I had, I haven't. Oh right, no. okay. But um, but I hadn't seen this one. What I did do though was I made sure I took a moment to familiarise myself with the rough timeline of events up to this point, <laughs> which, as it turns okay. out, turned out to be a colossal waste of my time. Wow. Nah, I'm only kidding. But like, uh, but I uh, not, no, not because I've... not because it was a waste of time, just because um, it turned out to be a little bit elastic with the timeline. This one, but we can get <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's that, I would say that's that's one hundred percent accurate. But no, so I was I was flying blind into this one. Like I say, it was um, it was something that was in a franchise that I don't have a particular affection for. I don't have a massive disdain for it. I just I'm not rabidly into it. So. Uh, so yeah, it was an interesting one for me. Um, but what I took away from it doesn't really matter as yet. Why did you bring it here? Because it's fucking awesome. Yeah, but why else? I don't really really know if I need to give any more information than that. But I will. Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, I've got a real affection for this film. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of scoffed at and maligned and treated like a bit of a, uh, a bit of a joke. But I really I really don't think it's deserved at all, particularly in the overall context of the franchise, which for the most part is pretty poor. Uh, and and I do agree with you on that. There is a lot to dislike about the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, um, but I don't even think uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five is kind of mid-table. Um, if you were to break it down into top to bottom, yeah. I think Friday the Thirteenth Part Five for me ranks a little bit hi- higher than that. Okay. Um, it's kind of beast unto itself. This kind of sleazy, mean-spirited bastard child. Um, and it is completely unapologetic in its body count. It ranks one of the highest in the whole franchise. For oh, bit. wow, yeah. <laughs> Every character that is introduced dies. Uh, almost without almost, exception. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of characters thrown into this film like, out of nowhere. There are uh, a lot of like, There's just like, well, we need someone to die here. That's, uh, someone has to die every couple of minutes. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's essentially a massacre of really troubled kids with severe uh, behavioural and developmental problems. Yeah, which, I mean, does sound extremely unpalatable on paper, but you're right. It yeah. is, it is, um, it's very unapologetic in pretty much everything about it that people could potentially find offensive. It amplifies all of those things. Yeah, the film doesn't give a fuck. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it, totally like, like, it revels in it quite happily. Like, oh, it, 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 um, it takes not giving a fuck yeah. to 11. And, uh, and uh, as the Halloween 3 of the, the Friday the 13th franchise. I mean, it's it's an interesting one. It does... It, it, introduces elements that are obviously they are wildly absent from the other films or the ones that I've seen at least and mm-hmm. I think that I do, I do think that in some ways it benefits from that speaking to somebody again that is watching it without having a particular dog in that fight and just watching it as a piece of work and kind of thinking about how it relates to the franchise because mm-hmm. um, it's kind of framed slightly more as a, or certain elements of it are framed slightly more as a psychological thriller <laughs> yeah you could say you could say yeah, yeah. I mean, what we have here really—it's a film that's set in a kind of rural psychiatric hospital of sorts. Slash summer camp. <laughs> Slash summer camp. Yeah, yeah. It definitely feels like a, a hot, wet American summer. It is the uh, Pinehurst yeah. halfway house. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's this psychiatric hospital, kinda, uh, where a group of patients 
I guess they're patient. Yeah. Again, uh, of kind of indeterminate age, um, are being treated for a kind of variety of conditions. We've got someone who has extreme rage issues. Uh, we've got a chocolate oh. addiction. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, we've got someone with a who just seems to be in there because they've got a stammer. That's true, actually. Yeah, I think that's that seems a little severe. Yeah, to me. And yeah, there's yeah, a yeah. girl who seems to just be put away in there because she's a bit gothy. Yeah, which I don't know. Maybe that was a thing, uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. The, ostr- the ostracization of the goths. Yeah, that yeah. that could, that could, that's fairly timely, actually. Probably when well, you think yeah. about when this came out. Yeah, like. Yeah. Uh, but so yeah, we are introduced to um, present day Tommy Jarvis. Yes. I mean, I, uh-huh, yeah. In relation to uh, yeah, where this sits on the timeline, God alone knows. Well, <laughs> uh, the only pick. <laughs> Uh, as much as I do, I love this film. It is a little bit kind of difficult to uh, figure out how much time has elapsed between uh, Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, the final, the final chapter, mm-hmm. uh, which it's not. Uh, <laughs> no, they call this one a new beginning, which makes it okay. Yeah, that, well, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult to say how much time has elapsed, uh, but all I do know for certain is that Tommy Jarvis, who is the protagonist in this, also the protagonist in Friday the Thirteenth Part Four, dispatched Jason when he was twelve years old. Yes. So all I can tell you in that regard, Mitch, is that this boy, man, is older than 12. Yeah. May still be 12. Uh, for all we know, it's only been six months or three months. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it, it is impossible to kind of, to truly, to truly date that. So yeah, no, it, it is tricky, but I think that like, um, when I realised that, I think that's one of those things that you kind of just get on board with right out of the gate. Yeah, there's a lot of things in this film that you just have to just get on with it. Yeah, I think there's a lot of elements of this that you just kind of have to get on board with and just run with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did that. As, I did that to the best of my ability. I would say. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate you taking the time. Now, did you watch it all? You didn't skip through it or fast forward through it. Oh God, no, no, Good. no, no. Because I, I would like to. This is episode one. I think we have to start as we mean to go on. Mm-hmm. I would like to institute for ourselves and for our guests a strict no fast forward rule. No fast forward, no skipping. Also, if you fall asleep during it, get it, get it, it, it rewound. Get it rewound. Yeah. Uh, also, just rewind it back to a bit you've definitely seen. No fucking about. You must have seen every second of the film. I want a film like this. It's good to go back and watch it again. I've watched this film fucking hundreds of times. Uh, I've watched it twice. There you go. Uh, so there I, you go. Like, Welcome aboard. I'd like to think that before I even knew it was an official rule, I took the rule seriously. Because I watched it once and then watched it again to make sure I was covering my bases, make sure I hadn't missed anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I definitely had. I got heaps more out of it on the second watch. We can get into that. <clears throat> um, so yeah, so we've got, to, we've got present day Tommy mm-hmm. arriving at um, Pinehurst Halfway House. Yeah, from the Unger... Uh, the Unger Institute of uh, Psychiatric Medicine, I believe, or something like that. Okay, yeah. okay. <laughs> so he arrives and um, gets introduced. Well, so we we are introduced, and also he is introduced to the director at Pinehurst, Pam Pam, Pam Roberts. Pam Roberts, yeah, she looks kind of like the Mummy Patrol too. She she's does got, a bit. Yeah, she's got that same kind of quaalud gaze. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of just like kind of blank, expressionless, plate-like golem eyes. <laughs> Uh, and she just kind of, yeah, uh, she just kind of looks a little bit lost. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and also, Did you just say, I'm subbed? I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, no, that's subbed. <laughs> um, uh, and also the head doctor, and I use the term doctor loosely for yeah. reasons we can explore, uh, Dr. Matt Letter. 
I didn't know even know he had a surname. I mm. just knew he was called Matt. I'm pretty sure that. that and in my head, sure. <laughs> in my head, even as the guy who loves this film, he's just the guy from the start, uh, Last Crusade. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, but um, so yeah. Pinehurst, they set their stall out very early doors as being an alternative medical facility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a pretty laid-back place. Um, uh, so w- one thing that... I, uh, so when he's first introduced and the mission statement of the place is explained to him, mm-hmm. uh, he says that it's going to be very different from state-run facilities, which I uh, completely I, yeah. agree with. <laughs> um, and, yeah, no guards. No guards, yep. Uh, be your own boss. Be- beer, be your own boss. Oh, right. be your own boss in a mental hospital. In a mental hospital, right. good yeah, idea. Yeah, and also, um, and my personal favourite, um, they believe that you should prepare yourself to re-enter society. Yeah, they they operate an honour system of good behaviour. It kind of sounds a little <laughs> bit like you're just being dropped off at a summer camp and left to your own devices. But <laughs> yeah, they, but they call it an honour system. Yeah, they yeah. operate an honour system of good behaviour. But two characters in particular. Well, I mean, I, all the characters kind of come and go as they please. That's true. Um, yeah, there's yeah. no control. Uh, but uh, two characters in particular, they're just constantly running off into the woods, knocking boots and bumping uglies. And there really is no control in any way, shape or form of these people's behaviour. No. But that's good. That's what we want. See, well, <laughs> We want them to be away and yeah. out in the middle of nowhere doing ridiculous, silly things. That's what brings it all... That's what... It's part of the charm. Yeah. So again, I think that this was another leap that I felt like um, you have to take pretty early doors, which is that it is effectively a mental facility only in name. No one's medicated as far as I can in see. Any way, and I actually, think. no one seems no no one seems to really have a, a condition. Well, with the exception of Vic, who will come on to. But with it, no one seems to have a real condition that qualifies them to be in this premises. I don't know if they're self referrals. That's um, a that's a really interesting point, actually. But uh, it's never explored, and to be honest, it's perhaps too deep for us to get into here. Yeah, I in think this that, forum. I think that if they can't speculate about it, we yeah, definitely can. Certainly not. But uh, yeah, it certainly seems to me that these are that they're uh, they're, they're kind of inmates, inpatients. It seems that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Jack Nicholson and One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest type. Yes. Um, initial self referral, then they're stuck there. Right, let's go with that. I'm happy. I'm happy with installing that as being the truth. Okay. Excellent. All right. Um, so, yeah, so he's, he's introduced, he settles down in his room again uh, because Pinehurst is not a real mental hospital. There's no screening, and as a result, he gets away with stashing Chekhov's switchblade uh, under his mattress. He does, yeah. Uh, which is which is fine. And then we're introduced to Reggie. <laughs> Reggie, Reggie the Reckless. Reggie the Reckless, no less. Yeah. Uh, Re- Reggie's a character I've never really liked. He... Explain. Uh, I will explain. I just always felt like... It was they were trying to play to to kind of kids or something. Um, okay, he'd been on kind of he'd been on different strokes, and I don't, I don't know if they, if they thought maybe oh, putting had he? yeah he had yeah 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 I don't know if they thought maybe putting this kind of kid character in here would follow on from Corey Feldman's Tommy Jarvis in the film sure. before or or just play more for more to kids. But to me, I was always like, so Reggie's granddad George. George, yeah. As the chef or the cook at Pinehurst. That's correct. Now, up until recently, up until rewatching, actually, I was never quite sure why Reggie was there. But it turns out, and it is discussed in the film by Reggie himself, that he's just visiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long term, presumably. Uh-huh. Um, now, yeah, because he seems like he's, he's there the entire time. He's, it's, he seems like he, he is resident there, whether or yeah. not you know, that he, yeah, he lives there. Unless he is uh, a patient and he's just 
fucking nuts and could just you makes, imagine just makes shit up just he, he he's a little black kid and he's just drawn to the one other black guy there um just calls him granddad oh wow that's there you go I've oh, opened yeah. that up for you i'm gonna rewatch it assuming that's the reality now mm-hmm. but yes i know sorry mm-hmm. you were saying the reggie character i just never understood why anyone in their right mind would bring their kind of 13 14 year old grandson to visit them on a long-term basis at a mental hospital much less um not explain exactly how mental hospitals hospitals function because presumably nobody has because he's been cutting about there for long enough Mm -hmm. and evidently still thinks it's appropriate to jump scare incoming mental patients with fake spider which is how we're introduced to him uh, when Tommy gets into his room that is how we're introduced to him yeah he pulls off a rather ineffectual jump scare on Tommy Um, now I want to say that's a particularly risky proposition for Reggie given that Tommy as we'll see kind of over the course of the film is pretty quick to anger um, he is, yeah, he, yeah, that's reasonable. Yeah, 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 he beats the living piss out of people constantly. Uh, but yeah, Red, Reggie was a character I never quite understood. I didn't quite get why he was there. I think that you've maybe hit the nail on the head, though. I think that there's probably an element of pitching, possibly to a younger audience with that, mm-hmm. and his inclusion, I think. I didn't realise his pop culture background. I didn't realise he'd been in different strokes, things like that. I can kind of see, I didn't. without saying it's necessarily a good idea, I can kind of see the wisdom in it. Although I've got it, I do have to say that... Um, Without Reggie, uh, we may not have one of, uh, one of probably my favourite character in the whole film, who will come on to later. Oh, we definitely will. If I'm assuming we're talking about the same guy. I but think yeah. we probably are. <laughs> so very shortly after the introductions are made, and I'm, this is going to lead me into a question. Okay, you can uh, but, please uh, pose away. So uh, very shortly after the introductions, the police arrive on site, and as you discussed, a couple of the characters have once again uh, disappeared yes. off into the woods. Yep. Now... Uh, Pinehurst is a bit of a problem with uh, their their rather relaxed rules uh, tend to lead to people taking liberties, let's say, and two characters in particular, uh, Tina and Eddie, uh, they are particularly fond of disappearing into the woods to explore each other's bodies. Yeah, yeah. Um, And in fairness, they both have lovely bodies, um, which is something else that that features heavily later on. Yeah, we see them often enough. Um, But the point is, they shouldn't be doing it, Mitch. They shouldn't be doing it. Certainly, they shouldn't be doing it there, and they shouldn't be yeah. doing it specifically on the property of Ethel and Junior Hubbard. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah Ethel Hubbard, is, she's just, she's amazing. So, yeah. She's one of my top five favourite characters in the whole franchise. <laughs> Actually, yeah. there's a, two of my favourite characters in the whole franchise are in this film. I okay yeah I, I I know immediately which two you mean right at the gate but um so yeah the police turn up and uh, basically they are saying once again these uh these two characters Tina and Eddie have uh, disappeared off into the woods on the Hubbard place <laughs> um I couldn't hear if he said it they're either screwing their heads off or screwing their heads up possibly both um yeah. but um, shortly after given the amount of cocaine that was on this uh, set uh, their heads were probably pretty screwed up. Yeah, potentially. But they were definitely also screwing their heads off in the trees on the Hubbard estate, shall we say. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know uh, if you noticed, but it's something I've always noticed, that the sheriff, uh, he <laughs> he has a really large kind of lump in his pants. Did you did you notice that? I'm I don't sorry, know. what? Uh, <laughs> he's got this kind of, he's got one of those kind of khaki police uniforms on, and uh, down the front of his pants, like... <laughs> Aye. His pants, if I'm going to be in a minute. Pants. Yeah. Uh, then in front of his trousers. Okay. He has this big lump kind of poking out. Right. And I don't know if it's a kind of distended testicle situation <laughs> or a, a hernia or something. But uh, yeah, there's definitely something there. 
Uh, now I didn't uh, prior to this recording. I didn't look into whether or not he's still alive. Right. Uh, whether or not there was any issues with him in that department around about that time. But if he is still with us and finds himself listening to this just out of curiosity, then I do hope that your balls are okay. Oh, and a message to all the men out there: check your balls. Always good advice. Always, Always good, good advice. advice. Check yeah. your balls. So uh, it may have been a trick of the light. It might have as been. well, by the way. It yeah, could have just that's... been. It could have, to. To borrow from Ron Burgundy, it could have just been the pleats. Yeah, the pattern on the pants. Yep, as it were. But no, um, so Ethel and Junior, as as kind of an exclamation point to the police lecture that we've just had, mm-hmm. uh, Ethel and Junior Hubbard come clattering into scene on a motor. On a dirt bike. <laughs> on a dirt bike, yes. Uh, so basically, they both are kind of their played off as being sort of. Hillbilly-ish characters. It's like George Yokels. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think I think that's a fair assessment. Um, mm-hmm. Also, I mean, they look like they've like they don't just look like they've been they've had like a day's hard graph. They look like they've just stumbled from the from the from the from the, like, from coal mines. Yeah, uh, yeah, they're they're uh, covered, pretty almost covered entirely from uh, in dirt. Absolutely, <laughs> and it's kind of hard to age them. They actually kind of look this uh, again the same as with a lot of the characters in this film. It's kind of impossible to place an age on them, but they kind of look the same age. Um, they're supposed to be mother and son. Mother and son, thank you, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they kind of look the same age, but they're so obscured and, and dirt and grime that it's impossible to tell. Uh, Junior, he takes his, he's on his motorbike, he's driving this dirt bike down the track, and he pulls over and uh, kind of takes his goggles off, and he's got massive, big, white, kind of rever- <laughs> reverse panda eyes uh, when he takes his goggles off. It's some entrance. Um, yeah, 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 and then everything she does in this whole scene is absolute gold. Oh, Ethel's like from, from the minute she arrives, and then the entire like foul mouth tirade about, um, and then the kind of parting shot middle finger. Also, the thinly veiled terrorist threat at one point. She says it's she's pretty, got a bomb uh, on her breast. It's not thinly veiled at all. It's not veiled in any way. Yeah, she just says she's got a bomb on her breast, and she'll detonate it if uh, these people if keep the, shagging no, in the trees. No, 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 it's if the it's if the sheriff touches her again. Oh right. Oh uh, well. So the sheriff's trying to kind of placate her, uh, and uh, he kind of reaches for her shoulder and she's like uh, I'll maybe put the clip on right now uh, in okay. the edit of this but uh, for now it's something to the effect of I got a bomb on me don't you come near me sheriff I'm warning you I got a bomb on me I swear to you you make one move toward me I'm gonna blow us all up start the engines junior and then she hops back on the motorbike and says that's it I've said my last word and she f- <laughs> She throws the fastest middle finger I've ever seen in her life. It's so um, good. Yeah, she's just like, yeah, I've said my final word. Poof. So, um, my. It's uh, so good. So, the question this was leading into, it wasn't so much a question as much as. She's actually really game. horrible to her son as well. They have, ex- <laughs> yeah, they, they have an extremely volatile relationship. But yeah, yeah I was going to yeah. ask you, um, uh, to what extent the, um, the presence and the constant erratic behavior of the Hubbards informed your enjoyment of this film. Oh, to the nth degree. I found. I think that uh, the removal of a lot of any individual aspect from this film, I think, would uh, severely, severely damage it. It's a rich uh, tapestry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think the only character that, I, like I said, that I could do without uh, is Reggie. But again, that robs us of a of a potential super uh, show stealer. A, a show, an absolute show stealer. But possibly not actually thinking about it because the granddad's still here. Um, Granddad, eh? yeah, but, yeah. But uh, yeah, the the Hubbards are a source of infinite entertainment in this film. Well, I say infinite entertainment because their uh, their actual time in the film is finite. Yeah, um, given the nature of the film. Yeah, no, uh, that's right. But I think that I, I mean I agree. Um, I I really enjoyed watching these two 
grotesquely unlikable characters. Um, and he and Junior is the messiest eater as well. Like he can't eat. Like he. he oh, like, like none ever, of that food is good in his mouth. Like not one bit. It kind of feels like everything about them is kind of Disc- ge- like, geared yeah. to be revolting. Yeah, yeah. but um, like she's she's making like a, a a pot of stew at one point and she spits at it. Yeah, why? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. God knows, but I, I'm, I'm so glad it exists. There's 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 really quite a lot of just like indiscriminate meanness in this film. Yeah, it, it, like it is a pretty, it is a pretty mean spirit. It's pretty film. nasty. Yeah, there's a, there's yeah. a lot going on here that's pretty mean spirit. Um, but yeah, so uh, but I thought it was it's worth it. It was worth kind of like digging in a little bit to that scene because it did introduce us to the Hubbards who pretty special, I think. Yeah. Now, um, R.I.P. Gone but not forgotten. So. Obviously, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of fairly nasty stuff goes on in this. Yeah, it's a sl- it's a slasher film. I would say, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> it's kind of like it's in the DNA of what they're doing. Yep. I would say that the only of all of all the kind of like fairly unpleasant stuff that goes on in this film, mm-hmm. the only thing that I genuinely, when I realized what was about to happen, and then obviously watching it again second time, knowing what happened, that it was actually like really uncomfortable and actually kind of willing the scene to end. Right. Was um. The murder of Joey, who's he uh, dies just as like as quickly as he's introduced. Oh, but I mean, God. honestly, I I had a really hard time with this. Really? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's, um, I'm sorry, Mitch. Um, and for reasons that we'll get into later, obviously, <laughs> it was it was something of a relief to me that further on it did serve the story in a way. Well, yeah, because uh, um, the death of Joey is essentially a catalyst for everything that comes after. Yeah, which I was kind of, um, which um, I was kind of, I don't want to say happy about it, but I was like, I yeah. definitely was kind of relieved by it because I remember thinking that as just as an indiscriminate piece of nastiness, I was like, wow, this is actually kind of like pretty heavy going. Yeah, I mean, Joey is probably the purest, most innocent character in the whole film. In yeah. fact, one hundred percent. Oh, absolutely, one hundred percent, the purest, most. Uh, um, Joey clearly has some kind of learning difficulties. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, now the performance I've got to say is it verges on the kind of uh, Tropic Thunder, Simple Jack, almost too far. I um, yeah, you yeah, you could be onto something. Yeah. There, and they, they, fair. he's kind of he kind of bumbles around from person to person. He's just trying to help them. He's pretty much fucking covered from head to toe in chocolate. He's uh, he's as yeah. as as covered in, as uh, covered as the, <laughs> as the Hubbards are in uh, dust from the mines. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he he's covered in chocolate. God bless him. And he just really wants to help out. Um, and he approaches to to characters who are doing a laundry and offers to help them. And uh, he gets chocolate on the sheet. So of course he does. Yeah, yeah. And he's kind of he's kind of banished. Yeah, again, again like like. This is another thing. It kind of just pinballs from place to place, getting what feels like a really disproportionate amount of abuse. I mean, he's not yeah, a stranger yeah, yeah. to these people. He must. Right. They must know that you know he's. Yeah, he like, lives with they, them. Yeah, for they, all they, intents they, and purposes, he lives with them. I was just like, like, everyone's being so excessively nasty to this guy, mm-hmm. um, and like they're, they're kind of laughing at him when he goes away, um, kind of when he walks away from them, and he he goes over to see, <laughs> and probably uh, the biggest. Uh, mistake he's ever made in his life uh, he goes, he, to, see Vic, he goes yeah. to chat to Vic uh, played by the late Mark Venturini who was in uh, Return of the Living Dead uh, he played suicide in Return of the Living Dead and sadly passed away from leukemia um, um, now um, can I ask a question about Vic before we proceed yeah, just in case I've missed something just in case I've missed something is it ever established? Do we know any more about him than what's presented in that scene? Do we get any kind of backstory as to who he is? No. Are we to assume that he's just another uh, inmate, air quotes, in we, uh, Pinehurst? I believe we are to assume he is an inmate. That's fine. He, 
yeah, he may not be. He could be staff. Um, and if he's staff, <laughs> Which would be much worse. <laughs> if he's staff, then he should be an inmate. 100% should be, because Vic has extreme anger issues. Like, oh, severe anger issues. In a, fi- um, in a film full of angry people. Oh, yeah, 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 still, yeah. It's an absolute sore thumb of rage. Yeah. And one thing I do have to say is he is very bad at cutting wood. Considering it seems to be like his main function, yeah. he is quite bad at it. Well, maybe viewing it, maybe he views it as a kind of anger release. Um, in which case, he's he better <laughs> chop fucking harder because <laughs> there is a lot of anger to get out there. Ah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But he, he uh, Vic is Vic's an angry guy, and he, uh, which I can only assume is the reason he's in Pinehurst. Uh, but he's approached by Joey um, with an offer of assistance. Uh, to help him cut this wood, which, quite frankly, he needs the help because he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. It's true, he's shy, just yeah. smashing it into uh, really chippings. Uh, yeah, nah, no, that's quite right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Joey approaches him and offers him offers him some assistance, and he's told in, in no uncertain circumstances to fuck off. Um, in fact, uh, Vic at one point screams at him, "Leave me alone!" Um, yeah. <laughs> And Joey still doesn't take the hint, and he proffers... Now, I mentioned earlier that Joey's pretty much covered in chocolate, but he literally has chocolates cascading out of every pocket. (laughs) Like, he has a couple of... of, He's got, like, a hoodie on, and a couple of bars of chocolate are coming out of the hoodie pockets. There's one kind of sticking out of zip. There's a couple coming out of his trouser pockets. He's got fucking hundreds of chocolate. Um, Which is why, it was just presumably why he's so cool with using it as a bargaining tool. Yeah, he... But funnily, he, he he offers it and he says, look, uh, I'll give you this half, but I want to keep the other half for later. He's got about 40 bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I digress. I, I, don't, yeah. want to, I don't want to pick too many holes in this film. Uh, of course not, no, no, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, but he, he proffers, proffers a bar of chocolate to, to Vic and then and probably the most disproportionate reaction to being offered a bar of chocolate that's ever been. I mean, like, probably ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he finds himself on the business end of Vic's Axe, yes, yeah, uh, which yeah, I would say it's I, I would say it's pretty disproportionate. Yeah, and yeah. I can understand then why you might have had a problem with it because as a as a pretty severely uh, learning disabled young man being chopped to death by an axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like I'm, uh, it's a, yeah, pretty heavy going stuff. I think, <laughs> um, but um, I must admit, I did the next scene. That was great, though. But when, without it, oh, yeah, we wouldn't have a film. This is it, and I think that, That's like, yeah, it. I think that, and yeah, you make a good point there. I think we'd that have kind just of like, a, we'd have a film that explores the humdrum day-to-day operations of a rural psychiatric hospital. A rural pretend psychiatric hospital. <laughs> but no, like, um, I think you're right. No, and that's an important thing to hit on actually. Because I think that, uh, like I say, for as much as that kind of unsettled me in the moment, I think that when we got towards the end of it, and I kind of realised that it was serving a wider purpose. For yes, it was. Sorry, it was. So, like, which I, I think kind of placated me a bit. Um, but, um, so the next scene after that, um, and I don't want to just go scene by scene on this, but I did think this was hilarious. The scene that starts like uh, the naked gun. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, <laughs> so, um, so you, you, um, the paramedics pitching up who uh, show themselves to be as, like, as kind of lax in terms of professionalism yeah. as the security at Pinehurst when these people are kind of gathered around. Not both of them. No, that's that's a fair point. Not actually. both no, of them. One, one guy is very much professional. Just uh, the one. So, it's, so is it Duke? Is the one that's? The, I have no uh, idea of it. Actually, off the top of my head, I can't remember the. I, I believe it's Duke, right? So, um, yeah. So you've got someone's these... done his research. I know. Hey, hey, I take this seriously. If yeah. The job's worth doing. It's worth doing, right? But no. Um. So yes. So Duke and Roy, the paramedics show up. Yeah, Roy. And... Roy. Uh, imagine, but Roy's got these really striking kind of green eyes, and if you can imagine what this guy looks like. 
um, if you remember the old kind of Incredible Hulk TV series mm. uh, with Bill Bixby, he kind of looks like if you were to morph Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno together, if we if they had that technology, that's then, spawn, and, and, that's and a really good, yeah, yeah, and it wasn't quite as kind of manimal and stunted, <laughs> and it's kind of uh, <laughs> and the transformation. Roy looks like the exact tipping point in the transformation between Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, like the exact with the eyes of the Hulk. <laughs> the exact the halfway eyes between those two. Yeah, I hear that. Um, but yeah, so you've got these these inmates gathered around, kind of all obviously visibly upset. Um, patience, please. Patience. Sorry, sorry. Patience. Yeah, yeah. please. So gathered around, and um, yeah, like one of their friends has been murdered. Um, covered up with a sheet oh. and um, uh, yeah at one point Duke just pulls it back for no reason and yeah uh, he exposes Joey's uh, corpse uh, <laughs> which has like multiple contusions and yeah. cuts and hacks <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Um, I see you've also done your medical research uh, Joey uh, I, I don't know if your medical research extended to uh, severed limbs but Joey has his own arm lying on his back <laughs> uh, which is a pretty clear indicator of what's going on there uh, yeah and um yeah, so obviously everyone is visibly upset and kind of traumatized by. Yeah, as you would be this. if you yeah. saw one of your uh, someone who they may not have been your friend, but there was someone that you spent certainly spent a lot of time with. Yeah, um, like if you saw their kind of like mangled. Body, in some yeah. cases, they saw the murder. By the way. Yeah, also true, and <laughs> um, they're remarkably, for the most part, remarkably unfazed by. Yeah, they're quite level-headed about it, but then yeah, Duke kind of just sneers at them and is like, <laughs> "Bunch of pussies." Yeah, like, fucking pussies. Yeah, I was like, all right, man. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean. These kids have been through a lot, you know. It's in that moment. <laughs> it's in that moment where the corpse is revealed that this film finds its finds its killer, and um, yeah, I headed. I know this this recording's headed up with a warning about spoilers, but Roy becomes mm. our de facto Jason here. He's our uh, he's a Jason Light in this film. Yeah, he, yeah, he's yeah. A, air quotes. Becomes Jason. A, yeah, he becomes a copycat for reasons that. We will reveal as we proceed through this discussion. Um, but yeah, he becomes our de facto killer here. Okay. And yeah, I guess I've got questions about that too, but I'll, I'll get to that when we I'm get to I'm not that. sure I can answer your questions about that. Oh no, it's just questions about your it's, opinion. It's and so, how... quickly, uh, so quickly mentioned and discarded that almost defies belief. I uh, think an extra couple true. of minutes of just laying that groundwork perhaps before the death of Roy might just make this film the standout entry in the... In the franchise, is that the, the the one missing piece of the puzzle. I think so. I think if if you we'll get we'll get onto that later. We'll get yeah, onto sure. That later. Um, so I want to start talking about things painting with slightly broader strokes in a wee minute, but right. um, okay. uh, but before that, we do have um, what is yeah, I would I make the argument the most pointless pair of murders in the film, uh, which is um, I don't know if they have names. I'm not sure if they do. Greaser one and Greaser two. Oh, you mean uh, the guy that looks like Kaneki? From Greece and the guy that looks like Marlon Brando and the wild one. Yeah. For no reason, they are dressed like greasers from the 1950s. Yeah, I mean, like, we spoke about the fact that the uh, that the chronology of this is difficult to place. Like, you're know, like, like, yeah. like, but I certainly had not assumed that it was the 1950s. No, 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 no. And <laughs> you would be right too. But these guys are almost comically dressed in 1950s. Uh, they're like T-bots. Exactly like T birds. Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I think that I think that a Greece yeah. comparison is all that you need, all that's really cool. And a bit like leather daddies. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, completely, completely insane and pointless. But in the grand scheme of this film and the kind of the tone of the film, I think it works because they are entirely unlikable pricks. They are. Um, 
and I, dispatched immediately. It's very like, pretty much as soon as they come on on screen, they are dead. Yeah, they may have the shortest on screen lifespan of anyone potentially. I would, I would say, say Lana. Oh yeah, Lana, yeah. The, yeah, the waitress that, has yeah. a shorter has a shorter lifespan than these lads. A lot of people are killed very indiscriminately. <laughs> Honest to God, man. Like, the the, oh, the guy, the, oh, the guy with the white vest that comes to the Hubbard size. Oh no, he's quickest. He's quickest, hundred percent, hands down. But no, um, uh, the greaser scene, like I say, it's fairly, it's a, it's a fairly, ex- like, it's a fairly expendable moment in the film. But it does mm-hmm. have one of my favorite lines of dialogue in the film, or one of my favorite moments, which is, is this like, shit my ass, crap my ass. Yeah, the guy, oh, the guy's like, I gotta take a crap, and he disappears, and then as you just hear over his shoulder, the guy going, crap my ass, which I crap my ass say. doesn't make sense. Nah, no. Another thing I would consider it to be a great strength of this film uh, is the. Uh, the commentary that every character gives when they're alone on screen. Soliloquies, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very Shakespearean. Yeah. The minute anyone is alone on screen, it's not just it's not just kind of throwaway dialogue like, oh, where's my fucking coat? Or where's my hat? This is where it's full screens of dialogue. Like, and one guy... Um, actually, I think uh, this film would qualify as a musical because uh, at least... I would say at least four characters have extended songs. Yeah, I mean, like... like- yeah, just sing, like singing to themselves, but singing to themselves at length. Oh, at length, full songs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, four minute disco audio. If anyone uh, is thinking about putting a musical version of this film together, um, oh, uh, then I would one hundred percent chip some money into oh, that. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think, and actually, I don't know if uh, if anyone else out there has seen uh, recent per- Corey Feldman performances um, on any chat shows or anything like that, but I would. Uh, if you could get Corey Feldman to rep- reprise his role as Tommy Jarvis, that would be fucking amazing. That would be tremendous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Um, so at this point, we get back to the fact that Tommy is doing what he spends most of the film doing, which is having nightmares and hallucinations, uh, and being a moaner. Like he, he's such a kind of he's such a moody bastard. Like, he's a, you're, you're okay, like... okay, we can understand why he's moody. Everyone he knows got murdered. Um, but, but apart from that, uh, apart from that, but like he, uh, he's so moody and unapproachable. Um, I I forgot to mention this earlier, but it's like you the way you talked about him just there reminded me of the conversation that uh, Pam and Matt have as soon as he's arrived. Uh, he arrives and he's introduced, and they're the professionals who are going to be looking after <laughs> when they're kind of laughing at his case. Yeah, it's like oh, they they go in, they go in, and they introduce him, and they're very nice to him. And they're like, oh, let's go and get you settled in your room. And he just kind of nods, and he's been in silence since he arrived, and he wanders of off. Course. And then the minute that he walks away, they start just, like, loudly taking the piss out of him. It's like, I'm not much of a talker, right? Then <laughs> so, immediately they're like, okay, so he had massive trauma at um, age 12. Yeah, uh, brutal self-defense murder of a psychopathic killer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah, so, um, but, yeah, that's, that's immediately prefaced with him just kind of, like, needling the guy. For Which is understandable. Much. And actually, as far as I can tell... With my limited knowledge of psychiatric conditions and mm. uh, particularly of the individual cases of the people that are here at mm. Pinehurst, Tommy to me seems like the only one who has a legitimate reason for being there. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tommy's, yeah. Tommy's fucked. Yeah, based on what we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Based on what we know, usual. Tommy's like The fucked. evidence as presented. Yes. He's the only one that has a case. I'm not, not necessarily Pinehurst because I'm not sure how good a facility it is, but definitely a facility. Yeah, actually, just quickly, uh, on the subject of Tommy Jarvis, mm-hmm. um, Corey Feldman does make a kind of brief appearance in this film at the very start yes. and what is revealed to be a dream sequence but I found it I find it funny every time I watch it that even in a dream sequence we have we have a dream sequence set in the rain where Corey Feldman uh, is kind of wearing 
Uh, he's got his kind of dressed uh, yellow slicker and it's pissing down the rain. I think we're to assume that he just stands watch over Jason's grave every night. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but he uh, he's interrupted from his vigil yeah. <laughs> over Jason's grave by two guys who, for some reason, think it's a good idea to dig Jason up. Now they do that from the, the shallowest grave in the world. Uh, this appears to just be a coffin lying at ground level, heaped up with dirt. Oh, you could have exhumed that with your hands. Yeah, yeah. but they brought shovels. Yeah. Um, and they they scoop all the they kind of scrape all the dirt off and kind of chuck it away, and uh, they open the coffin uh, to reveal to me even in a dream that doesn't make sense that they would bury Jason in his mask, his boiler suit, <laughs> and with two machetes which he <laughs> duly uses to kill these two uh, dream idiots that have dug him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty special. Yeah. That was filmed in Corey Feldman's back garden, so maybe they weren't allowed to dig holes in the garden. Oh, possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah that could be why. Um, so we're not too far off um, the point in the film where the rate at which people are getting knocked off just accelerates oh, it, to an it, unbelievable. It, it goes crazy. Uh, so the, uh, the first of those, or the first two of those, I believe, are uh, Billy and Lana in one of the yeah. film's mere serial sequences, I think. Yeah, Billy... He's a kind of rat, uh, kind of ratty faced. Uh, he's a kind of ratty faced, orderly guy that we meet very early on. He brings Tommy to Pinehurst. He's driving, isn't um, he? and again, <laughs> he brings Tommy to Pinehurst. So there's really no reason for him to come back in a in a role. Uh, That's true. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. essentially a delivery driver, uh, dropping Tommy off. Uh, but he comes back in a what? Uh, I guess as a filmmaker, it, you could say it's a kind of throwaway scene. Uh, the same as the two the two greaser boys, but. It's, quite it's in long. the film. It's, quite... it's in the film. Therefore, I love it. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's a pretty long throwaway scene as well. I'm not saying it's not yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just... again, it's it's really uh, it's really commentary heavy from uh, from Billy's perspective. Yeah, there's a lot of self narration yeah. going on. Lana, Lana's this. Uh, she's this waitress at this kind of Twin Peaksy uh, kind of double R diner place. Yeah. Um, also weirdly out of time, um, and she. <laughs> Almost immediately um, exposes her breasts with a cry of uh, "It's showtime." Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and nothing wrong with her breasts whatsoever. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah, but <laughs> actually, th- this one's got breasts for everyone. Um, no matter what kind of breast you like, it's catered for, from little ones, little hand-sized ones to pendulous, <laughs> swinging mammaries. That everything is covered here. All, all your sizes. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah so uh, but Lana and this is something again that's always struck me weird uh, as being weird um, Lana puts her clothes on yeah so she's, um, she's so at this point she's like prepping herself in the bathroom uh, for a weird right? date with this Billy guy a weird date with Billy yeah, yeah. Um, so she uh, gets ready to go out on this date and she sprays what's presumably presumably minty breath freshener Yes. In her mouth. Uh-huh. Which makes sense. She's mm-hmm. been working in a diner, yep. drinking coffee. Bleh. Yeah. Um, and then she sprays it down her cleavage. Strange choice. Yes. Strange choice. Yeah. Weird that that would be the same substance that went in your mouth. <laughs> the op- I guess if it's not, then she sprayed perfume in her mouth, which is monstrous. Cannot accept that that's, as being the truth. She should also be in Pinehurst. Yes, that's fair. Um, she has a more actually, compelling Actually, there's case. an argument that all the characters in this film should be in Pinehurst. Yeah, reasonable. I would say that. Um, I would say that's fair. The Hubbards, the Greasers, yeah, the lot. 
chuck them in there be done with them um so yeah well while she's doing that um uh billy again he has a wee chat with himself this kind of strange mm-hmm. weather forecast metaphor that yeah. ends in a kind of but well, it's a metaphor for uh cocaine usage of course he ha- then- well he has a he has a ritual he has a ritual for taking cocaine um that presumably presumably involves this little speech that he does every time yeah snow flurries up your nose that's a very good something like that i'll yeah. put it again if i can put the clips on this i'll, I'll do that He's a horrible character, he's a real greasy, ratty yeah, little fucker. Fairly right, from the first time you meet him, you're like, ah. Oh. God. Yeah, because he's kind of vaguely horrible. sleazy when we we're first introduced to him, isn't yeah. he? He, he? He waggles his tongue in a kind of slobbery, cunnilingus gesture towards Pam the minute he meets her, which yeah. is pretty. I was like, you're a dick. Yeah, it's fairly gross. And then when he yeah. pops up again, I'm like, ah, this fucking this asshole. <laughs> um, but yeah, so yeah, he recites this little thing to himself, and then based on the stories that we hear about um, what happened on set with this film, we yeah. see what could very well be a scene of genuine cocaine usage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's no secret that this film was, I don't want to say plagued, I think aided. <laughs> ably, yeah, ably, ably assisted by uh, cocaine. Yeah, and uh, yeah, uh, it may very well have been real cocaine. Uh, that's something I don't have the the answer to offhand. I'm sure the answer does uh, reside in the book Crystal Lake Memories. Aye, the truth if is, you've ever, if you've ever looked at, if you've ever read that book, it's really the go-to book for the franchise. Um, the the answers may be in there, uh, but I don't have it to <laughs> hand. Um, so after what I would say is um, a scene where a cat is fairly unfairly manhandled, and yeah, 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 yeah. There seems to be this weird cat that just lives in the diner, uh-huh. and there's a there's a, a jump scare involving the cat where some again presumably coked up uh, crew hand uh, uses the cat as the kind of jump scare prop uh, by throwing it at Lana the, or the actress playing Lana. Launches at her and the cat kind of just crashes awkwardly against the side of this kind of booth and falls to the ground, dazed and kind of stumbles off. It's yeah, it's I, a suspect I, treatment of a of an animal. Yeah, I saw. I forgot to check the credits to see if it can honestly say that no animals were harmed in the making of this film because I'm not 100 yeah. percent sure about that. But anyway, um, Billy and Lana very abruptly um offed shortly yep. after that exchange. Go on, forget them. And like I say, that that is the first and uh, like uh, what I would say is like an a, an accelerated patch of murdering. Yeah. In this film, so we revisit um, Tommy, who continues to have his um, what is he carries on having this hot streak of shirtless hallucinations. Yeah. It has, um, and well, I guess what I would actually quite like to know is what is your what, what's your take on the um, the attempts or the motions to put this kind of that kind of psychological element into it do you think that it kind of breaks the momentum up at all or do you think that it serves it well you know the kind of because what is kind of a very violence heavy and kind of fairly breathlessly paced film yeah you do have these kind of like again i suppose they're they're fairly kind of attention i guess they make sense and and so much as it, it helps us to develop a little bit more of a knowledge about tommy who's probably one of the more well-rounded characters in the in the, the franchise, but I mean, they, they they really make these attempts to kind of blur the lines between whether um, Tommy is going to be the new Jason and whether J- Tommy's going to become this killer. Uh, is Tommy even the killer in this film? Oh, mm. there's a question for you. Um, he's not. 
Um, <laughs> but the film makes these kind of vague attempts to make us think that, they, that he is. But to be honest, I don't give them a set that the slightest thought. Yeah. I view Tommy as this troubled little kid that kind of came over from the film previous. So the psych- the psychological thing for me is only in service of Tommy being in the mental hospital. Which is probably... Yeah. I, I can't be... I don't want to read any more into it than that. Like It's probably necessary as well, yeah. I think, to kind of just get like pay a little bit of lip service to that element yeah. of it. Would it be have been interesting if they'd gone down the road of having Tommy Jarvis become the, the new Jason in part six? Perhaps. Mm. But they didn't. <laughs> so fuck it. Forget it. It's pointless to discuss it. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, immediately after this, there's still more murders. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah we, there's we, many more, many, many more murders. We in rapid succession yep. l- lose uh, Tina and Eddie, who uh, finally yeah. they don't go into the woods, don't shag in the woods thing. Uh, yeah. They finally ca- like the chickens yeah. kind of come home, come home yeah. to roost on that one. That's probably my second favorite scene in the film. That was probably. I mean, this film had a lot of problems with the the MPA in America. They it was treated really, really harshly in uh, in terms of censorship. Okay. They chopped loads of stuff out, and they chopped about. The sex scene between Tina and Eddie in the woods is about three minutes long originally, if I remember correctly. Right. And they take it down to about ten seconds, which actually makes Eddie look like a bit look a bit shit in bed. Right. Okay. Yeah. He yeah. Looks yeah. Looks like a kind of um, Tony Two Thrusts type uh, type. Kinda yeah, that's fair. Yeah. One and done. One and done. Kind of yeah. guy. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, Actually, the whole sex scene is kind of prefaced by one of the weirder uh, moments of foreplay I've ever seen in my life where he kind of prances around her in a weird uh, mating dance and then throws handfuls of dirt in her face. Uh, which, uh, every time I watch it, I'm like, that's not fucking, that's not sexy. Don't throw dirt on someone you're about to bang in the woods. No, you wouldn't think so. No. And then they, they, they have a cavort. Yeah, a singular cavort like one that. Cavort, yeah. uh, that one th- <sighs> Uh, that one thrust, and uh, he st- he says, oh, I'm going to go get washed. And then yeah. the very next shot, he's kind of crouched down by the river, so where he assumed that he had some kind of weird, awkward river horse bath where he dunked his dick and balls in the river. Yeah. That's just gross. I, like, I think that, like, uh, that, to me, is one of the one of those moments in this film where you're like, ah, just put your jeans back on and have a shower later, you monkey uh, bastard. Yeah, it's so much worse. Like, yeah, so it's like, yeah. so it's like, oh, I'm going to go wash. Like, no, that's yeah. not what that is. Ah, you clatty bastard. Exactly. Yeah. That's not a wash. Uh, but yeah, in his in his absence, um, yeah, things take a bit of a turn. Yeah, Tina, Tina buys the farm. Yeah, where she goes. Uh, yeah, and, and she joins she joins the rest. Uh, and also, somewhere in the middle of the chaos, um, the farmhand for the Hubbards, who we've been introduced to for about maybe 20 seconds worth of screen time, he also uh, cops his what while just kind of spying on them in the woods. Yeah, he's just watching them fuck. Yeah. Mm. Which is kind of like, yeah, it's a fairly that's, sad I mean, character that's moment. Pretty, really. yeah, it's yeah. pretty sad. He's just standing watching them fuck from the trees yes. and it's not even a good kill it's like he's dispatched in such a kind of throwaway that's true uh, no so uh, <laughs> stab gone we lose Tina and Eddie and then yeah Raymond the farmhand gets the sweet release of death from is that his, his name? His, yeah Raymond the Raymond yeah, yeah, I think so I I'm pretty get, sure I didn't know that at all like, I actually didn't know that guy's name yeah, at but, all um, just, he's just been oh there's that guy yeah but he gets a nice wee exit strategy from what is presumably a fairly miserable existence because all he seems yeah. to do is spy on people shagging in the woods and shovel shite at the Hubbard's house yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I would say it's probably better off. Blech. Now, right, it's at this point that uh, I think that one of the main pillars of your argument for uh, in favour of this film. Are you going to talk about demon? 
We're finally introduced to Demon. And I, I, I love the fact that we didn't like, we didn't really know he existed in any significant way until well, he's briefly mentioned. He's briefly mentioned earlier. Um, Reggie says something to his granddad along the lines of, "Can I can I go see my my brother's going to be in town? Can I go and see my brother this weekend?" Oh, that's right. We'll see. Yeah, and the granddad's kind of non-committal about it. Actually, uh, that's in the same scene where there's a really weird moment between Reggie and his granddad. Uh, Ow! I don't it, there's a bit where uh, Reggie said. Uh, uh, it's kind of familiar family kind of paternal moment where uh, Reggie's granddad kind of kisses him in the head uh, and Reggie says something to to the effect of uh, don't what is it uh, don't, ki- don't, don't kiss me when there's other people around don't kiss me when there's people around which to me would indicate then that they're kissing in private well yeah, yeah. It's, as opposed to what weird yeah. Demon yes Demon Reggie the Reckless's brother now before we go to Demon are we assume then uh, I know I do that uh, Demon is his birth name Oh, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I assumed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm fine with it. Cool, I'm okay with that. Uh, <laughs> Demon uh, is played uh, by another guy from Return of the Living Dead. It's uh, Miguel Nunez Jr. who plays uh, Spider. Uh, and he's pretty much uh, doing exactly the same kind of part here. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, he's so fucking great. He's some character. So I yeah. think that, um, yeah. considering it's considering it's you that's making the case for here, I think that it's best that you talk more about... Um, the main scene that we where, uh, where just, introduced the demon, and also of course uh, so his, his lady friend as well. Oh uh, well, that that actually uh, is a cause for some consternation for me. Uh, mm. His relationship with his girlfriend Anita, but uh, Demon's just such a fun character for the minute he's introduced. He kind of kick. He, he lives in this van, or maybe he doesn't live in the van, but he's certainly traveling around. He's it. About and he kind of kicks the doors open, and he's just so full of life and so full of energy. He just seems like a really. Like a cool guy to be around. Yeah, really uh, positive energy right out of the gate. Yeah, and he uh he's obviously he's he's Reggie's big brother and we're to assume they haven't seen each other for a few years. Hmm. He says something along the lines of uh, uh Woo, you've grown up or something and then uh apropos of nothing, turns around to Reggie and offers him an enchilada. Um <laughs> He does, yeah. Which every time I see it makes me laugh, and then I'd say thirty seconds later he offers Pam, a demon offers Pam a taco. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I just don't understand why demon's van, a van, is so full of Mexican food. Okay, he also I... has, uh, he also offers up egg rolls and pizza. So he's just living in this weird van, just full of fast food. Yeah, because to begin with, because um, obviously, like you said, yeah, the first two. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, enchilada and taco, right? Enchilada and taco. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, I was, like, I, was, I, was, I was like, we haven't seen the other side of this. Is this a Mexican food truck? That no, it's not. And it's, it's not. He, he lives here. It's uh, it's his house. Well, also, like, yeah, pretty pretty heavily diversified menu there as well, yeah, with pizzas and egg rolls. Yep, you've got a bit, a bit of everything catered to everyone. Uh, but he, the his love of Mexican food kind of comes to, uh, kind of, leads to his demise really actually just um, before we go any further i have to say actually sitting there you're talking about it, this scene is fucking insane on so many levels wh- why just like i mean like the inter- case but i i mean well i say insane it's it's enjoyably mental mm-hmm. in as much as uh demon is like very very like kind of like he's introduced kind of like you right like you say he's kind of like absolute ball of energy right out of the gate yep yeah kind of dress like eddie murphy and uh, and and raw. Yeah, that was I was gonna say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, but uh, so Reggie then uh, he he gets in the. Fire. He's got that kind of uh, sorry that kind of soul glow mullet as well from coming to America. Uh, he's fu- oh, he's so good, man. He's but, fucking amazing. So we come on. We're introduced to Anita very briefly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Demon's love interest. Yeah. Who Reggie kind of like 
does this kind of like a fairly weird, weird kind of flirt you come on to, yeah. um, which everyone kind of just kind of laughs off because it's a kid. And then Pam appears. Yeah, uh, and Reggie, Reggie claims that Pam is his girlfriend, although she's easily 25 years older than him. Oh, absolutely. Or yeah, 20 yeah, yeah. years older than him. Yeah, conservatively. And, uh, yeah, she doesn't deny it. No. She's kind of on board with it. And she's then the idea. Demon's like, well, hello, Pam. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And kind of like, yeah, it's the whole, the whole exchange. That whole family's got a weird relationship. Uh, yeah, that whole family has a weird relationship, and that family definitely has a weird relationship with women. Demon never asks after his granddad, which is quite telling. Oh, cons- like considering uh, Granddad George's yeah. kind of reluctance to yeah. let Reggie go see Demon, maybe there's a story there. Yeah, but uh, D- uh, Demon and Anita, they uh, they have a really uh, heartwarming moment together where uh, they serenade one another through the walls of an outhouse while Demon is voiding his bowels, presumably with diarrhea, given the way that he runs to the toilet. Yeah, and you were just about to say that his love for Mexican food is... Spraying diarrhea out of his asshole... Mm-hmm. singing a love song to his girlfriend. Which seems to be entirely made up of just going, Ooh, baby, ooh, baby, hey, hey, baby. Yeah, it's just a series hey, of greetings baby. and noises. But, but, hey, and then, hey, but then Demon takes it really far. He starts going, ooh, baby, ooh, baby. He's like dancing on the toilet and stuff. And I... then weirdly, there's a couple of bits that unsettle me where he kind of threatens her with some physical violence. Yeah, because I mean, um, because yeah, yeah, he they have a weird relationship as well. Because yeah, he kind of yeah, he kind of vamps extensively. Um, yeah, he, on, he gets lost on, in his own shit. He gets lost in his own train of thought. Yeah, he kind of he kind of <laughs> progs out on that song, yeah. and then uh, when he do, then when he gets to the end of his kind of yeah. protracted yeah. improv bit, she seems to be gone or she's silent. There's no noise yeah. from the other I side. I could talk about demon for hours. I feel like because we're getting to the end of demon already in this discussion, kind of it's making me feel a bit sad. So if we just do a bonus episode where you just talk about Demon for two hours. Yeah, I might actually just put a photo of Demon over this whole episode and put it on YouTube. Yeah, I think that should accompany all the posts. So I'm happy with that. But um, uh, yeah. So, but yeah, um, we see he doesn't. But the the reason for the silence is that Anita is gone. She's gone. Yeah, she's uh, gone. She's dead. Yeah, both in the sense that she's not present and also yeah, she's dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, his reaction to that is not necessarily concern. Um, when he realizes that she's missing. a surprise. Yeah, but he's surprised. Then kind of heads it off. Maybe with Maybe that's like, just how he deals with things, Mitch. Everyone deals with things differently. Yeah, but like the threat of physical violence, though, wasn't yeah. so hot on that. Yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah, yeah but um, but so yeah, she's gone. And then Demon he... seems like the kind of guy who's got a woman in every town. He does. It's true. Yeah, yeah. he's been around the block a few times. You can tell his van's never not a rocking. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, while this is going on. Because uh, Tommy kind of tags along. He does, yeah. And we don't we don't really see how far they go. Presumably not far, uh, because he's jump scared again by uh, Junior Hubbard. Oh god, Junior Hubbard. And then Tommy, in he, I think it's fair to say that he beats the shit out of him. Yeah. For that jump scare. And rightly yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah. I would say. Um. Yeah. Uh, so oh, that would have felt so good to beat the shit out of Junior Hubbard. <laughs> that's fair he's such, what, a, he's such a dick um, what I would say is once this is done like I said it cuts back and we, we, we it comes to our attention that Anita's died a rare off screen death yeah, yeah, yeah in this film as well yeah no there's a couple um, George Grandpa George goes off screen yeah he goes off screen uh, and Matt goes off screen Matt, uh, Matt, Dr Matt yeah, there's a couple yeah, the, that yeah, the, a couple that die off screen. Third act, I would say, like yeah, but as a percentage of all the murders, it's probably it's probably yeah, fairly low. It's pretty low. Um, and then yeah, shortly after that, speaking of murders, um, Ethel and Junior die as they lived, which is uh, screaming incoherently at each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, which so I was sorry to see them go. 
Yeah, it's sad. I'm, I'm, I was sad to see them go as well. I feel like uh, after after the the Hubbards go and uh, Demon and Demon and Anita go, what's left but the end? I think yeah, the wonderful, wonderful end. Um, yeah, we can start baffling. To... <laughs> the wonderfully baffling ending. Yeah, we can start to pull this together. I think towards the ending now because um, yeah, you're right. I mean, I think a lot of your main talking point characters are gone at this stage, and yeah, what else is there to do but resolve it? So we lose a few more. Yeah, um, pretty quick succession. Bang, boom, boom, deed. Fuck off. Forgotten. <laughs> yeah, like gone is gone is like pretty much as quick as it introduced in terms of screen time. And also, yeah. I would say the only one that I think is worth mentioning is Violet. Yeah, uh, who is one of the ones that shouts shouts at Joey as seen earlier. She's on. goth one. She's she's the, the, she's the one. She's kind of new wave uh, electro kid. Yeah, and um, I would make a case for the fact, that, like I say, in a film that is teeming with unlikable characters she might be the most unlikable oh you think so um not so much just in terms of just like scene by scene pound for pound consistency on just being a dick to absolutely right. everybody i used to have a bit of a thing for violet when i, I can kind of understand that when, when, <laughs> when i was a wee guy she, uh, i had a bit of a thing for violet but yeah I, w- I was not sorry to see her go i wouldn't say oh, i was i'll bet you are so uh, yeah we lose we lose a lot of people in fairly rapid succession and then there's a standoff at the end, as there always is, obviously. Of course, naturally. Um, yeah. And uh, with some creative help from Reggie and a tractor, amongst some other things. Yeah, Reggie finally uh, living up to the, the reckless moniker. Yeah, reckless driving. Reckless sure. driving, yeah. Actually, pretty, pretty early engagement. on, at first you're like, he's not reckless in the slightest, he's a little shitbag. Uh, but then he does, he comes good, like, he, yeah, he comes so. good pretty quickly. Um, um, but we do have, what we do have is a killer who, for all intents and purposes, is dressed exactly like Jason Voorhees. Except for the mask, that's how you know it's not the main man. Okay, yeah, he's got yeah. a blue mask as opposed to Jason's red flashes right. in his mask. Yeah, yeah. and uh, so yeah, as you say, the killer not the genuine article, of course. And not, as no. we discussed earlier on, once he uh, dies by impalement, he does. Yeah, uh, yeah. after on a weird bed of nails, yeah, like a magician's bed of nails. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. Very conveniently placed. Yeah, but, um, but yeah, he basically after having a moment of quiet contemplation from a fairly high level in a barn, he gets pushed out of out of it yeah and uh yeah he impales yeah. himself and he is of course unveiled as uh roy roy the paramedic from yeah. earlier mm-hmm. and uh, as we then find out tragedy the father of yeah. poor joey yeah and now this now this is like i say this goes back to what i said earlier on i didn't want to dig into it too much at the time joey the chocolate kid yes and like i say i think like that that scene i thought was pretty heavy going and i was quite pleased to see it tying in in a way that was kind of important to the story I also thought that as a reveal for the killer, it's not bad. Yeah, I would have liked. I would have, like I said, I would have liked a little bit more of uh, prior to the impalement, just a little bit more of Roy and his motives before it's kind of revealed in a weird throwaway. Uh, it's basically because it really is the the measure of one discussion in the hospital, isn't yeah. it? Between the policeman yeah. and Pam, they, I want to say. Uh, yeah, they they somehow found that they've got their hands on Roy's wallet, um, which has a f- grown up photo of. Joey in it, Joey, which is yeah. weird in and of itself because they've been estranged, as we know, for many years. Um, yeah, he's kind of willfully excluded himself. From, yeah, 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 yeah. And weirdly, some news cuttings with what looks to be headshot grade photos of Jason Voorhees. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't remember thinking it was like if I think if I was a murderer, if I was being a copycat Jason Voorhees mm-hmm. kind of guy. I probably wouldn't carry around large amounts of corroborating evidence on my person just in case of ambiguity kind of thing. Yeah, well, yeah, at the end of it, he's... yeah. But, um, but yeah, What but... we have here, Mitch, ultimately, is a tragic story of a man who snaps following the brutal murder of his uh, disabled son. Yeah, and when you frame it like that... It's a beautiful thing, it makes perfect sense. 
don't know if I would necessarily say it's a beautiful thing, but I see where you're coming from. It is. Uh, but no, I think like um, I actually think that as a motive, as explained, mm-hmm. I like I like it explained very abruptly. Mm-hmm. But I I think not bad. I mean, even when there are so many like there's such an unbelievably high pile of dead bodies in this film. Yeah. So when the time comes to figure out who at one point there's actually three dead bodies in a bed. Yeah, like is the that, fact there that is he, actually a pile of. Then he actually took the time to arrange them in a pile yeah. like that. But no, um, uh, I think that that was one thing that I did like about. It. I think that when you got to the end, your suspect list was extremely short. Yeah. And when it was unveiled, but it could still have been Tommy. Yeah, they, 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 they kind of loosely try to keep that thread going to the end. But, but when it, it got it, to the end, well, yeah, he was. I guess he was one of them. But like, there's a very there are very few people that it could be. And when it was unmasked, and maybe it's just because I've kind of trained my brain to not try and figure these things out. Mm-hmm. But I was like, yeah, didn't see that coming. Then you have a moment of little, uh, kind of satisfaction when that other blonde-haired paramedic guy falls out the the ambulance door. Oh, Duke! He's yeah, dead. yeah, fuck yeah. you, Duke. He's one of the very, very discreetly yeah. tossed off murderers yeah. towards the end. Yeah. He's yeah. an asshole. Yeah, I was quite glad to see him away. Yeah, quite right. Fuck that guy. Um, and then I think that like just as as the, at the absolute end of the kind of at the at the end of the piece, uh-huh. uh, it ladles on stuff that I thought was really entertaining. Like I, but I particularly like so we have a, like so uh, Tommy's in bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pan goes in to see him. Mm-hmm. We see him wake up and murder her in what appears to what is then. I've told to you, Mitch, you can overlook this stuff. This stuff is the important. I liked it though. Yeah, um, okay. But um, my favorite thing is when uh, Tommy one flew over the window of the ward that he's in. Oh, it disappears at the night. It disappears at the night. <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, the end is just it's it's an absolute fever dream of uh, nonsense. It's fucking that, brilliant. I really enjoyed, um, isn't it? Isn't it though? Um, I would say that you've sold me. Oh, um, maybe just not, like that. Not necessarily to say that it's like a classic, or I but I would say potentially that. Because I did look into the kind of critical yeah. reaction to it and stuff because <laughs> I knew that, obviously, oh. it's part of the rule yeah. that it has to be this kind of critically maligned thing for it to qualify for re-evaluating in this, in like, in this forum. And uh, I would say ho- like wholly undeserving of the bad rap that it's gotten. I would agree. Without, yeah. I would say that, like, without saying that it's an underappreciated masterpiece, I think that it is probably worth a second look. I think within within the franchise as well, um, as you've shown, you can have just a quick dip into what's gone before and you can appreciate Friday the 13th Part 5 as a kind of standalone film. You um, can. And, and um, I, think it, I think it works and I think it certainly works a lot better than some of the ones that come after it. I think there's elements that differ from the rest of it that I think really work out in its favour. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think that... I actually quite... I know it sounds kind of sacrilege to kind of put a little bit more stock in entries in a franchise that don't have the actual killer in it. Right. But the more we talk about it and the more we talk about things like this and things like Halloween 3, mm-hmm. I think it's like, I've got, I don't want to say that I've got no problem with it. I think it's an interesting thing and I think you've got to be careful with it. But as an idea, it's not something that I find particularly objectionable if it's done well. Right. And I would make the argument that in Halloween 3 and here, I would say it's probably done recently. Well, there we have it. Um, I should say that, that and one thing I do love about this film is that really kind of sleazy, gritty nature of the, the, the piece that is much more kind of... I think it's a really dark and, and kind of kind of nasty That's entry nasty into it. Film. Yeah, yeah. And I think a big part of that, that comes down to uh, the director, Danny Steinman, who only ever did four films in his in his whole career. One of them was like a, a kind of comedy porno thing. And uh, <laughs> one of them was the amazing Savage Streets. 
uh, <laughs> which uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, he never ever made another film after after this one. Uh, I think he was in some kind of accident or something, and just gave gave up filmmaking. Okay. Um, but uh, I certainly think that this film stand for me personally, it stands. It stands tall in the franchise, and I don't think it, it ever has anything to fear. Um, and the only people who who really who really push it down are those real Jason Voorhees purists, uh, who refuse to see beyond uh, beyond the big man with a with a hockey mask. Um, this film has a big man in a hockey mask. All right, just <laughs> accept it, get on with it, and you'll have a smashing time. Also, do you know something? Was kind of just want to be like he's also not in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. In many ways, uh, Friday the 13th is also the Halloween 3 of the Friday the 13th franchise. So there you go. Perhaps uh, Friday the 13th Part 5 is, fr- is the Friday the 13th of the Friday the 13th franchise. Wow. We're, 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 we're running there. This, this, this is getting too bad for me. Is, um, yeah. So a successful conversion. Uh, hey! One. Well played, well played. So um, that just, I suppose that's just about it for uh, this week's episode. Thanks a lot for joining us. And um, we will be um, announcing our first guest very soon because the, our next episode episode 2 will be the first one to feature I guess yeah I believe so yeah hmm. <laughs> it's going to be interesting so stay tuned yeah. for more information on that and of course don't forget we'll also let you know in advance what the film will be so you can seek it out mm-hmm. and if you want to join in, in the conversation and also if you want to agree with us disagree, disagree with us yep. give us abuse whatever yep. get in touch on social media Facebook and Instagram they are both strong language violent scenes. You can get us on Twitter at strongviolentpc. Uh-huh. You can also email scenes at gmail.com. Yeah, and one thing we do welcome is corrections. Uh, if we've been talking shite, mm-hmm, let definitely. us know. We're happy, to, we're happy to issue our attraction. Yeah, no, it's like we might, we might, <laughs> we might agree, we might detract, uh, retract, should I say. We might call you pedantic. Yep. Might yep. Fuck off. Uh, yep, so uh, if you keep your eyes on uh, Podbean, uh, for any updates uh, we might be posting bits and bobs out with the episodes here and there but yeah that's pretty much it for this episode and I have uh, been proven correct victory wank <laughs> victory wank yeah yeah <laughs> why not why not yeah. um, but no uh, thanks a lot for joining us like I say uh, lots more coming very soon indeed uh, I've been Mitch Bain and I'm Andy Stewart and don't forget that it is better to die a hero than to live as food in a world of chuds Good night. bye some damn enchiladas! <laughs>